This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 23, Julia Middleton, Expedition Leader. This is the second episode of two that are looking, that are completely devoted actually, to unpicking the stories of amazing women in the sacred texts, uh, whose leadership continues to teach us all today and, and inspire us. The last week, we spoke to Mira, who, who saw it from the aspect of Hinduism, and Terry, who looked at it from the aspect of Christianity. This week, it's Julia from Judaism, Hatun and Amani from the Islamic, and Annie from Buddhism. And I just think this is, I don't know, for me, this has been absolutely fascinating, these two episodes to produce. I have loved every single minute of them. So let's start now. Julia first, from Judaism, there are two women who really, really, really continue to inspire her. Okay, so when I think about women in the Hebrew Bible who have influenced me, I mean, there are any number, and people have sort of slightly written them out of history, so it makes me quite irritated. But I'm going to take two examples. One is Sarah, wife of Abraham who couldn't have children. This is kind of a regular theme of women being infertile. You get that throughout the Hebrew Bible. Anyway, she can't have children. She can't have children. She can't have children. And eventually, three messengers or angels, it's the same word in Hebrew uh, and in Greek, indeed, come, come along and say to Abraham, Sarah's going to have a child. And Sarah's by this time, according to the Hebrew Bible, in her 90s. So it seems a little unlikely. Anyway, she does produce a child. The child is Isaac, who, in fact, I think is a bit of a wimp. But anyway, in the process, there's a whole lot of text. And Abraham has a concubine who is Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, who already has a child, Ishmael. And Ishmael apparently started teasing Isaac. We're not sure exactly what the story is, but certainly... Sarah gets very protective of her little boy. This is a kind of classic mother story. And eventually uh, she says to Abraham, you've got to throw Hagar and that Ishmael out. This is, I can't have this. And Abraham sends Hagar, the maidservant, and Ishmael, the son, who's his son, into the wilderness only with a bottle of water. Abraham is not happy. He really isn't happy. And he says, oh, I really, I don't want to do this. I really, I feel terrible about this. And then the story goes in the rabbinic commentary on the text. The text says, all that Sarah tells you, hearken to her voice. And the commentary says, this teaches us that Sarah was superior to Abraham in prophecy. And this gives me great joy. So male commentators commenting on this text 
probably in, I don't know, could be fourth, fifth, sixth century, what we would call CE, you might call AD, we're already saying there's something really interesting here. And it's telling us that Sarah was a very significant prophet and she knew what was going to happen and why this was important. And for me, that's an amazing thing to find within the Hebrew Bible. A, listen to her voice, she matters. And B, and really importantly, the rabbinic commentary saying she's superior to him in prophecy. So when I think about women's leadership in the Hebrew Bible, Sarah, the first of the matriarchs, is a pretty good example. Now, I don't like everything she did. Let me be very clear. That's not the point. But the point is that she is a leader and she's seen as a leader and she's regarded as superior to Abraham in prophecy by later male commentators. So she's my first example. My second example is very different. And she's Ruth in the book of Ruth, which is a late book of the Hebrew Bible and almost like a, um, a joke text. So it claims to be a historical book, but from the names, you can tell that some of this is a very deliberate invented story for a purpose. But Ruth is a Moabite woman. She gets married to a guy who promptly dies of plague. He's got a brother. They're Israelite, Israelites who've gone to Moab because of famine. And his brother also marries a Moabite woman and he also dies of plague. And interestingly, their names are Machlon and Chilion which means sort of illness and disease. So, you know, I think we know that this is a sort of a crafted story. Anyway, uh, the, they have a mother-in-law, Naomi, who becomes really quite a character, and she decides to go back to the homeland. She goes, get, goes back to the land of Israel. And her two daughters-in-law say, oh, we'll come to Ruth and Orpah. And she says, no, 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 my daughters, do not come with me. I have no more, you know, I've not got any more boys hidden in my womb. I'm not going to give birth to more boys for you to marry. You stay back here in Moab. I'm going home. And Orpah, one of the wives, she stays. But Ruth goes with Naomi. Now, Ruth is, it's a very inter interesting story. And we're not entirely sure how this plays out. But Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you, which is a very famous line. Wherever you go, I will go, and eventually, and there will I be buried. So she says, I'm throwing my lot in with you. And she then goes with Naomi, and then she gleans in the field of her kinsman Boaz, and she, anyway, she marries Boaz, and she becomes the ancestress of King David. Okay, so now the reason I think that's interesting is that she showed absolute determination, nothing was going to stop her. She knew in her heart what was right and she went for it. And so I really love that story. I mean, there are lots of things about it you might criticize again, but these are stories and they're endlessly oral tales and they've got lots of added attractions. But the principle, I know what's right. I'm going with you, my mother-in-law. I don't want to leave you alone. I actually want to make sure that you're okay back in the home country. I'm coming to, we're now family, I'm sticking with you. My lot is thrown in with the, with the people, if you like, into which I married. And I really love that. And I love the determination and her absolute sense of this is right. So she's quite an inspiration. I probably think of her as a more regular inspiration than I do of, of, of Sarah. But I mean, Ruth, I think is a, 
an extraordinary woman of saying, I'm throwing my lot in with you. Uh, and I think that that's fantastic. Your but, logic is make the brave decision and just go for it. Don't look back, just get on with it. I mean, sometimes you have to look back, but I think the thing about it is, is get, make the brave decision. Yeah, do the consideration first, but make the brave decision and get on with it. An eight out of 10 is okay as a score for making decisions. If you get eight right and two wrong, that's not too bad. And why do women struggle with the two? Lack of confidence, which is why that rabbinic comment, this teaches us that Sarah was superior to Abraham in prophecy is so important. Because it's a really affirming comment about a woman leader, written by men. As Julia says, it's not the, um, it's not the decision that Sarah made to send Hagar into the desert. It's, it's the equality of her position. But certainly, Hagar was sent into the desert and became a woman, uh, Hajar, a woman who totally inspires Hatun. And I'm not exactly surprised. According to the Islamic story, which is millennia ago, Abraham or Ibrahim took Hajar and her child Ismail from Palestine to a barren wadi or valley later to be called Mecca. After Ibrahim left her alone with her son in the valley with a little water uh, and bread, she went on searching for signs of life and temptation. She didn't stand still. This is very important. Uh, part of the story that she did not um, just sit there and waited for death. She ran and climbed the mountains of what is called today the Safa and Marwa until the miracle opened beneath the, her child's feet. An angel appeared uh, to reassure her and gave her the miracle of a bursting well called Zamzam, which flows until today. A hard worker, she built a dam and a farm and a house and a life. Until a migrant tribe from Southern Arabia found her place and asked her permission to let them drink from her well, and then asked to settle down next to her. Hajar, knowing her power and vulnerability as well, realized the power of her will and the Arab traditions of respecting women and the well's ownership, spotting the strategic advantage of a well in the desert, as well as the importance of having a community that would strengthen her and her son. She made Jurhum, the large Arabian tribe from the south, to submit to her conditions of settling down without challenging the ownership of the well, which belongs only to her. These conditions were honored and the well stayed in the possession of her descendants until the time of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. She did not sit still, even though she was sure that uh, God is by her side and, uh, and she had this strong faith that she will not be, he will not abandon them, but she did not uh, uh, just uh, uh, stay reluctant waiting for uh, 
uh, for uh, uh, a table of food coming from uh, from the sky. But she uh, tried to work and by herself to march and to um, uh, just to go around and find find the solution by herself uh, to live in, in in that that situation without breaking down is very remarkable. Mecca lies in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a barren place before having this well, and it's uh, uh, the heat there is unbearable. Um, it's um, when 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 rain comes down, which is very rare. It is flooded, so it's not a very uh, it's not a fertile, uh, uh, comforting uh, zone. Um, um, so she was smart, wasn't she? She was, of course. Uh, first of all, I mean, to, to live, to survive in such an environment needs, needs a lot of courage and intelligence. And how has her leadership influenced you? Or she inspires me in, in keep on going, on uh, uh, try not to concentrate on the on the past or on what would bring me down. I used her, her method in keep on working and working and working without looking back, not looking back at any obstacles or even social obstacles that would prevent me from reaching my dream. I don't uh, put uh, a limit to my dream. And I think this is what she did. She would go on uh, building her life step by step. And this is what I, 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 I prefer to follow. I don't put my, before me big dreams. I prefer to, to reach the small dreams ahead of me and one will lead to another so that it doesn't put me um, or it doesn't make me uh, feel that I'm incapable of, of doing, uh, of reaching the big dream. But um, she gives me, she inspired me with her courage. I, I hope that I could have some of her courage and her uh, resilience. For me, it's, um, it's very delicate uh, situation uh, when I keep on thinking and reflecting on her story. I just uh, um, I feel that, that there are always there's always this small uh, lamp and or the small the bulb that comes up from her story that would uh, brighten my uh, sad uh, times. But I want to say something a final note about Hajar. I would say that Hajar in Mecca she became an independent being. She became a free woman ahead of her household, a leader of her own town, a matriarch of a people and of faith. She was the founder of the Cradle of Islam, the founder of Mecca. This is what Hajar for me is. If Hatoum is inspired by Hajar, um, Amani is hugely, of course, inspired by Hadija. Uh, in the Islamic faith, and and Amani, of course, is in Indonesia, the biggest Muslim country in the world. 
So here you are. Uh, Sayida Khadija binti Khwailid is the uh, first wife of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. She is a very famous and rich trader. Uh, she's, she was married before married uh, to uh, the Prophet, but she was famous uh, by her richness and also she trade by herself and uh, after hearing about the the prophet muhammad before he was prophet yeah, the young uh, muhammad he is all, he was also a trader she uh, gave her wealth to muhammad young muhammad to uh, trade uh, her wealth this uh, trading process uh, considered as a successful so uh, this made also uh, Khadija to woo, <laughs> to woo Muhammad, young Muhammad, to marry her. So this is, uh, it's unusual also a woman to uh, propose to the men, but uh, uh, she was uh, 40 years old and uh, young Muhammad was 25. Then she's very smart. Uh, uh, she, she has wit. So uh, she uh, right away uh, understand that uh, her husband, the Prophet Muhammad has uh, a special condition and uh, she knows that uh, uh, he is uh, the apostle of God. Uh, she made her home as a, a kitchen to everyone uh, and she buy the, the food from outside Mecca uh, by her influence. Uh, at that time, the tribes in Mecca, the people of Mecca, uh, make a boycott to the family of uh, Prophet and to all the Muslims, the companion of the Prophet boycotted the, uh, them. So they cannot uh, buy everything, they cannot sell everything, they cannot live yeah, in Mecca. That's uh, this uh, hardness to, they face. But during that time, because of the influence of Khadija, uh, she can buy uh, foodstuffs from uh, outside Mecca. That time we see that uh, that the, the people are uh, divided into slaves and uh, autocrats or the, the nobles. And then the people also, the poor, divided the poor and the rich. So by the coming of Islam and the teaching of Islam at the beginning, they uh, unite all of the people and remove all of the, the levels, the, uh, the status of the people. So uh, the idea of uh, uh, emancipation, the idea of uh, the sameness at the beginning of the spreading of Islam is uh, very much uh, uh, supported by the uh, wife of Rasulullah. Uh, she was uh, rich and uh, she has all of the privilege as a noble family. Uh, so, so she can help people with the, yeah, in, in her ease, in her good time. But afterwards, uh, when she married uh, the prophet, uh, she still helped help the people in their misery condition.
uh, even she lost her uh, her wealth. Uh, uh, yes, she lost her wealth, uh, but uh, 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 this uh, uh, she is still helping. She freed uh, many uh, slaves, yeah, uh, who become uh, Muslim. And uh, also, uh, like I said, uh, she made uh, her home like kitchen, uh, open kitchen to everyone. Khadija is very special, uh, very uh, strong woman and uh, very full-hearted uh, woman. Uh, she has wit, she has strong uh, uh, desire to uh, to fix uh, her society, to help uh, her society. So this is uh, not just a mother or, or a pious uh, woman, but she is also very, yeah, her leadership is, is obvious in all of all walks of life. Her, her role and her dedication is very obvious. And then on to Annie, who, um who looks at the issue from a Buddhist point of view and to the feminine Buddha, Aryatara. Uh, as you'll see, Annie didn't exactly quite keep to the brief, but um, it's fascinating. The name of my school is called Aryatara. And Aryatara is the feminine uh, Buddha, you know, uh, Buddha that we have. We consider her the mother of all Buddha. And in the real story of her, uh, her is that such that she's someone who has always made vow to be reborn in the form of a woman, always to liberate all beings, sentient beings, uh, to, to be free from suffering. In a very mythical story, uh, we have a, um, uh, a enlightened being called uh, the compassionate Buddha, compassionate Buddha. And he's been working so hard uh, to liberate all sentient beings from the suffering. And he really worked hard. And then as he worked so hard, but yet when he looks back to ev evaluate how much of success he has been able to achieve in his, his uh, work of compassion to liberate beings from suffering, then it's always, again, same condition back. So he felt so disc um, like kind of sad and he cried. So two tears rolled down from his eyes and then these two became the two Tara, we call the Tara or the, you know, um, the, the feminine divine being. Uh, we consider them as the fem female Buddha. So they took the form of two feminine uh, divine being and uh, promised to to this uh, compassion Buddha saying that, don't worry, we'll assist you as long as we need to in, in fulfilling your desire to empty, I mean, like eliminate all the suffering from this, uh, this uh, samsara or the existence. <laughs> so that's one of the story. And then there are many other of uh, these uh, feminine divine beings who've been who has been born as the princess, you know, in some countries. And then their practice of their meditation and their, you know, uh, spiritual practices uh, enhance their compassionate uh, qualities up to the strength where 
they 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 really took up their vow to really be more active and effectively uh, out there to really guide and, and support and help and you know protect all beings from suffering and that inspires me a lot but otherwise usually in our kind of our kind of very conservative society people think that being born in the form of a man is supposed to be very superior and supposed to be very fortunate and they think that uh, men suffers less but i have a doubt on that i find men suffers more than women <laughs> why because you see <clears throat> they need to control lots and lots of uh, their emotions you know if you if you cry as a man in front of uh, the society they'll say oh such a weak man if if they're so if they're really kind to their wife they will say oh he's a slave to his wife kind of so then the the, the way the men are brought up in our society in a is very unfortunate way and then in the name of being brave and and tough men is always to be you know rough and tough and not so kind and uh, flexible and very rigid and so on so i think that's very sad for men to be growing in such kind of a norm social norms where we women actually we are so comfortable to cry our tear sheds whenever we are touched you know emotionally touched and that means like it really helps us to release our stress and release our uh, very uh, suffocating emotions occasionally and uh, so and we don't we we don't mind to feel weak uh, vulnerable and and sensitive and uh, soft these are the qualities which i feel like we as women we are very strong with these so for men it's very tough in the name of being strong they they become very weak very fragile they break <laughs> the harder they become the more fragile they are and i can sense that in them and and you know what i experienced in my life in the monas monastic communities these men who are the like greater the practitioner the meditation practitioner gradually i see them becoming more and uh, more feminine you know these monks these great monks the teachers you will find them more gentle more soft and more sensitive and their tone of their voice starts to change more like motherly voice so that's the transformation i feel like they are making uh as the sign of their their accomplishment in their meditational practices or their spiritual practice however you say it and i think that's the ultimate goal i think to be kind and soft and gentle so and those who are harsh and hard and trying to validate their masculine energy as being very rigid is the most unfortunate way of <laughs> you know validating their uh, superiority do you cry i do you mean do i cry oh very frequently <laughs> at times i feel bad about it like why am i so easily able, i mean like shed tear tears in my eyes 
and I think it's still very, at this very age, I think I'm going through premenopausal symptoms of <laughs> things too emotional occasionally where I don't like it. But then on the other hand, I think feel like it's good. It's it's healthy. So if I found creating this um episode, these two episodes fascinating, it's because they've taught me about leadership. Um the need to learn to say no from like the brave woman in the forest and the need to keep on asking questions as Hadija did. Thank you, Mira, for both of those extraordinary women. Um, the ability to sit under your own tree from Deborah and never losing sight of the vision or wanting credit for it. Wanting credit for it. Very, very interesting, Mary. So thank you, Terry, for both the insights into Mary and Deborah, two women you admire. And then um, Hatun, whose passion for Hajar, um, never give way to despair, just proceed step by step. Thank you, Hatun so much. Amani, Amani, bring everybody with you into your kitchen. You said so many things, but that's the one that's absolutely stuck with me. Bring people into your kitchen. One of the first really inclusive leaders was Hadija. Thank you, Amani. And Julia, Sarah and Ruth, the tough Sarah, who was proclaimed an equal of men, and and Ruth, who who make who made brave decisions, and and then got on with them, as Julia says. The oh, and and of course Ariatara, Ariatara, absolutely delicious. <laughs> A woman who who embodies compassion. Um, and who who is comfortable in tears, so important, and um, ha even has compassion for poor men who uh, Annie feels need it because they can't cry. So um, as Annie slid away from the brief a little bit, uh, I enjoyed it all immensely. Thank you so much, everybody. Next week, what are we doing next week? Well, do you remember two weeks ago we did an absolute dig deep into a group of 17-year-old girls in Pakistan? Now we're going to go deep and talk to some really powerful, interesting leaders in Botswana and um, find out a little bit more lots that I certainly never knew so anyhow look forward to next week lots of love thank you for listening to the podcast we would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives you can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the women emerging group on LinkedIn where you can have your say